Welcome to the Rise Up Kings podcast, where you'll hear from the pros who've built business empires without sacrificing their faith, family, or fitness. The host, Skylar Lewis, has built multiple multi-million dollar companies, is an author, speaker, and founder of the three-day Rise Up Kings experience. It's time to rise up to your God-given potential and create a life of liberty, abundance, and impact. To learn more about Rise Up Kings, go to riseupkings.com. Don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the Rise Up Kings show. We have Ian Pruckner, who's a serial entrepreneur. He's a consultant, speaker, best-selling author. He's built uh, seven, eight, nine-figure businesses in finance and real estate, e-commerce, and intellectual property spaces, including a multiple eight-figure exit. Uh, He was born and raised in Royal Oak, Michigan. Uh, He currently resides in Siesta Key, Florida with his wife, Jessica, and three children, Kaylee, Zach, and Zoe. Uh, Ian, welcome to the show, brother. What's up, Skylar? Excited to be a part of it, man. Well, Yeah, grateful to have you on here. I've been uh, watching you on social media, and uh, we got connected from some uh, a mutual friend, actually a fellow Ruck brother that came through the event, and he said, hey, you know what? You got to meet this guy, and so I'm pumped. I'm excited to have you on here. Yeah, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Me too. So, so I wanted to start out. So you're, you're an author, right? And I was doing some, some, uh, I was checking your book out and spending some time in it and some powerful stuff. Um, let's start out. So you, you've built some very successful companies. Uh, one of the things that's very uh, important to, to the men here in Rise Up Kings is staying balanced, right? Is, is maintaining yeah. what we call the four pillars. And so I'm going to dive right in. What would you say is, uh, what would you say, uh, you've utilized or, or how have you stayed balanced uh, and how have you managed your family in pursuit of some pretty serious business success? Yeah. So uh, I'd give you a couple of things. Number one is we make time for what's important to us, period. End, end of story. W- what we say is important to us shows up in our calendar, right? And so so it's just got to become a priority. The other side of that is I see balance is really like a, like a tri-dimensional, three-dimensional sort of world. Most people, when they're talking about balance, Skylar, they're talking about time. They're away from their family a lot, or they're doing this, or they're doing that. But time is only one of those three universes, I think, that where, where balance can exist. Uh, the others are uh, emotional availability, okay, and resources. And so let me give you an example. When I was first starting my business, you know, I, I was in the ministry full time. I left the ministry full time to you know set out on a career in business, um, and something I thought I would never do. I thought I would be there forever, sort of doing that uh, doing that job in the ministry as a calling. Uh, but here I am. I'm running a, a business, and and the things that I used to like to do, like you know, go on a missions trip or whatever, I just I didn't have time to do. I was in the grind, and so I couldn't physically be there, but my resources could be there. I couldn't go but I could send somebody or a couple of people or sometimes an entire team or sometimes leave an entire orphanage behind. And so while my time was sort of out of balance in that dimension, I was able to sort of create a holistic balance by being able to be, you know, monetarily there or emotionally available. Another great example is when my kids were really, really little and I was in the grind building my first business, you know, they were two and three and four. And I didn't have all the time in the world because I was working on some some pretty heavy business goals. I always made time. 
But the key was this, the emotional availability section of that, that universe of, of uh, balance is if I could only give them an hour a day, it was an hour a day without this on, not staring at the TV, focused and in their world, doing things with them that they love to do. And I would submit to you that an hour a day of undivided attention in their love language, showing up as a dad, showing up as a husband, showing up as a friend is worth 10 hours a day sitting there letting them watch the TV together or they're clicking away on a video game and you're sending text messages. It wasn't about the quantity of the time. It was about the emotional engagement and availability that was there. So I've always sort of seen balance as those three things. And, you know, people say the balance is a myth and that's somewhat true, right? Like, I don't think there's any period of time where where we're just like locked into perfectly balanced schedules forever. But what that allowed me to do is when one area was low, I could I could bolster it up by being more focused on adding those other universes of balance to it. And so if I was deficient in one, I'd add in the others. And I would always try to make sure that those were moving back and forth. And that allowed me to be present to show up, to have great amounts of time with people, but also to achieve some pretty meaningful goals and make a difference in a lot of other people's lives along the way. In your previous organization, you were leading a serious amount of people, yeah, right? Like quite a few. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, um, so when I sold it last year, I had 1,400 salespeople in 48 locations <laughs> all over the country. Yeah, pretty sizable group of people. And uh, all 1099 salespeople, these were people who, uh, were there for a dream and a vision. Many of them have become multi, multi-millionaires. Uh, all of them have changed their life in some meaningful way. And yeah, I did that for 16 years. It was, it was amazing. It was a privilege to be able to, to lead people, to be called coach every single day. That was basically, you know, my job. I loved what I did. I didn't work a day in the 16 years that I, that I did that. And, and for me, it's always has been, always will be about people. I think that's God's heartbeat, like people, people, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, coming out of the ministry, like that was my thing. You know what I mean? Like, like I've just always been drawn to people who felt like there was more to their life than they had known and understood. And then helping them find that pathway to being able to live in that more that God had for them. And so that was basically my job. I was just a professional friend maker and a chief encouragement officer for 16 years. And it was really a lot of fun. Some of the best friends in my life uh, came out of that business and we're still super close today. I'm actually heading back up to Michigan next week where I started that business. And um, uh, I've got a little uh, private gathering of some of my early uh, early teammates there. And it's going to be really good to see everybody. Haven't seen them in a little while. What would you say... So that's, that's a lot of people, right? And it, and it requires a significant amount of... Um... I would say energy to invest in 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 your leaders, right, and in those people that are helping to run the organization. What would you? There's a lot of people on this call, a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and men that are looking to level up. What would you say is a um, is really a foundation for success? Whether you were coaching, you know, your team members at that company, or or even just with yourself. I know you have a book called Byproduct and. Like what, what is the foundation? What, what, what would you say like if somebody wants to create enormous success, what needs to be in place? Right thinking, number one. Okay, so if you think right, 
you're going to be able to draw the line between cause and effect pretty accurately. Okay. And that's where most people fail in life. Uh, you know, that they win in business, but they lose their family because they didn't draw the cause and effect line. They say, Hey, if I don't pay attention to these people here for a decade and all my time and all my emotion, my very best goes here, I think I'll still be okay. Well, that's wrong. And that line doesn't get drawn. And all of a sudden we don't get the outcome we wanted. Right. And the book byproduct it was, it's about living in the byproduct. Our lives are the byproduct of our thinking, our beliefs, and our actions. What we do every day, what we believe about ourselves in the world and how we think that has given us what we have, good, bad, or ugly. That is the byproduct. And if we want to control the byproduct, we can do that. We can't necessarily control the win you're going after 10 years from now, the big vision, right? The, the, the corporate goal. You don't directly control that today, but you indirectly influence it today by what you do and what you believe and how you think about what you're doing. And so right thinking is that foundation. If I have somebody that can think correctly about something, then they're going to be able to find their way through, out, over, under, and get to the result they wanted because they can look at what they want, what they're getting, and be able to clearly understand why that isn't happening and maybe what needs to change along the way. Mm. So I would say that's first and foremost, the thing that you need to have. And that's also the toughest thing to do because they don't teach us in school how to think. They teach us what to think, but they don't teach you how to think. They don't think they don't teach you how to critically reason. They don't teach you how to take a loss and not pack up your tent and go home, but instead say, hey, you know what? I'm paying for this loss with pain and and reduction of resources potentially and reduction of reputation. I'm, I, I paid a price for this. Let me get the value. Let me get the lesson, right? All losses, Skylar, have two things. And the number one is data. Like, why did I lose? If we're willing to ask that question, inside of the answer to that question is the juxtaposition or how do I win? If you know why you lost, now you can avoid that in the future. So they bring data and they bring pressure, right? And we, and we don't get taught how to deal with that. We just avoid it. We minimize it. We run from it, right? We say, I'm not going to do that again. And, and so learning how to think is important and, and then learning how to lose and learning how to be mentally tough because you're going to have a lot of a lot of knocks on the way up. You know that. I think everybody watching this understands that. And it's really about, you know, how long you can can keep going. Like most of success is on the other side of holding on beyond the point where most other people are going to give up. And, um, you know, they don't teach that, but that's something that you've got to learn along the way. Yeah, it's so good. They definitely are missing this in school. I have a 10-year-old son. So Brendan is my little guy. I have a 7-year-old uh, boy and 10-year-old boy. And so this morning after our workout, I was working out with him at 6 in the morning. Let me see if I can turn my camera around. Uh, oh, you can't see it. I was teaching him how the brain works, right? How from a situation or a circumstance, uh, we create a meaning or we create yeah. a story of what that, what that, event, what that event meant. And so from that, from that meaning or, or that thought that we had stems our emotion, right? So our emotions come from that thought. And then from that emotion, right, stems our behavior. So we behave out of our typically an emotional response. And then our entire life results is, is a sum of all of our behaviors, right? And so if you reverse engineer that back up to the top, it's our belief systems, which lead to our meanings that we create about life, right? And the stories we make up about every daily thing. We get in an accident today. What's the meaning I'm going to make up about that, right? We get into some uh, uh, conflict with our wife. What's the meaning, right? Is the meaning, which you kind of what you talked about, is it is it pain? Is it learning something new that didn't work? 
Like, what is the meaning? And so this morning I helped them reverse engineer, like, as you feel that emotion, how do you, how do you find out what meaning you've created for something? You have to reverse engineer and go back and figure out what was the emotion that I felt. Well, I'm angry. Cool. So I'm angry. So what meaning then did I create that led me to anger? You know what? The meaning I created was that I always get in a fight with my wife and it's never going to end. And then is that true? So are you familiar with Byron Katie's work at all? I'm not. Uh, Loving What Is. Pretty epic book. Uh, Loving What Is. And so we reverse engineer that to is that is that belief true? Is that meaning true? And so I was spending time with him this yeah. morning, kind of helping him process. Like I, I want to, because he's not learning that at school. So where does he learn how to think? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It comes from our, us as parents. Yeah, and a great many people believe a great many things that aren't true, but they believe them to be true, and they act on them. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what you're talking about there. Going back and saying, "Hey, is how I feel reality, or is that my perception?" Because if it's just my perception, then my behavior is going to look right to me and wrong to everybody else around me, right? If it's actually true and it's formulating my behavior, then I'm going to, if, if I'm acting in accordance with the truth, then my actions and behaviors are going to, are going to largely, you know, line up with the principles that our world runs on. It's so interesting what you were describing there, sort of the, the belief turns into emotion, turns into action. In the book, I talk about that. I call it T-bar and it stands for thoughts, beliefs, actions, and results, right? And as there's so many interesting things there because one of the other really interesting facets of what you're talking about there is sort of the human condition, which is I know I need to change. I want to change. I want my life to be better. I want to stop doing these things. I want to start doing these things. We know what we need to be doing. But the biggest gap in the world, Skylar, is the gap between knowing what to do and mm-hmm. doing it, right? Even Paul said about it in the Bible. He said, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. What is this? And what's happening here is most people, when they try to create change, they go to the to the shortest connect the dots, which is behaviors and results, right? If I change what I'm doing, I'll change what I'm getting. And that's true, sort of. Because what we fail to understand is our behaviors are not an island unto themselves happening just because they're actually being created by the two things previous to them in that cycle. Our thinking and our beliefs create our actions. Let me give you an example. If a fire alarm started going off in your office right now, Fire alarm's going crazy. The sprinklers are going right. You see some smoke over here. Uh, you're probably going to pick up and get outside, right? Mm-hmm. And so you yep. get outside and you realize it was a false alarm. It was just something on the stove. Nothing was actually on fire. That didn't stop you from acting as though there was something on fire. You took the actions in the belief that there's danger, even though maybe there wasn't any danger. It was a perception. And so what a lot of people do when they're trying to change is they try to change the behavior. And they do for a week or a month. They try to spend more time at home. They try to be more attentive. They try to show up in these ways for their wife. They try to implement this system or this habit in their health or their business. But then two weeks later or a month later or two months later, they're back to who and what they were before. Why? Because they didn't change the thinking and the beliefs that created that action to begin with. You were overweight and out of shape for a reason. And it wasn't, believe it or not, because you didn't go to the gym and watch what you ate. That was just the byproduct of why you were allowing those things in your life. Same thing with relationships and money. And so a lot of people are trying to change at the action level and they are doomed to repeat it over and over and over again. How many people do you see like that, right? They improve for a Mm -hmm. bit and they fall back. They lose the weight for a bit, they fall back. 
And if you really want to create permanent, long-lasting change, it starts with how we think, mm-hmm. right? Going back to being accurate thinking, what you were saying mm-hmm. is, is your experience, is that a perception or is it reality? And lining those things up. And so it's so powerful to begin to understand some of that because, you know, if you can get yourself to do what you need to do when you need to do it, you're a very rare human being. If you can learn that well enough to teach it to other people, you have a lot of value in this world because that is probably the most damaging thing in most people's lives is that cycle they can't get out of no matter how bad they try. Yeah, we all know what to do, right? We all know what we're supposed to be doing. Right. It's 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 how it's it's the belief systems that drive us that are. Be, and, and then the question that becomes, right, how do you change the belief systems? And so it's kind of cool. Our, our events. Right. And, and, and you haven't been through one of our events, but our events, the premise of that is some deep transformational shift of, of shifting mindsets and belief systems. So tell me about that, if you don't mind. How, so give me the, the, the framework for changing yeah. the belief system. Yeah, fantastic. So first we identify if the belief system is uh is 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 benefiting them right is that belief system serving them or is it not serving them and i've never never really shared this on a podcast or anything uh so we have a process and a couple different series of events that we take them through where we we identify belief systems and, and whether or not whether or not they're serving them and then once we identify that belief system right then we dive into figuring out sometimes we go in to figure out where it came from so sometimes it's nice to see some context Right. You know what? Oh, I got that belief system from my dad about money, right? Or about women or about relationships or about business, right? Business is hard. Money's hard to get. I'd love to hear your, your mindsets around money, actually, when we, if we get a chance, because uh, I know you have some powerful thoughts around that. And uh, so, so, yeah, first we identify it, then we get some context if we can. And then once we, once we have that new belief system or, or that, that old belief system, then we can start to break the legs off of it. So I consider a belief system like a uh, like a like a like a table, right? And under, underneath that table, there's legs. And so that belief system has had legs for years. Every time, uh, if you believed uh, money's hard to get, uh, every time money was hard to get, it's a new leg. It's more evidence and more evidence built up until eventually that table is so solid, it's actually very difficult to switch out that belief system. Yeah. So what happens is is a way to it's a great start analogy, that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to break those legs out. We want to find a way to start to show the gaps in that belief system. But first we have to identify it. Hey, this is not serving me. And then now we can shift it a couple different ways. One is through, we we have experiential events. So we'll actually do some in-person deep work that you can't think your way through. And it's more of a, I almost call it like positive PTSD. We we, we do such extreme stuff. It's emotional shit. anchoring. Yeah. You're emotional anchoring. anchoring. Exactly. So we do some deep emotional anchoring that, that, permanently can shift belief systems. Yeah. Uh, we also Literally. utilize, yeah, hundred percent. That's great. So we do, we do some deep work around that through a couple of our events. And then we also do affirmations. So we teach affirmations. We have them built into our app. And so an affirmation is powerful because you're able to shift that. You're able to start to, because what happens is if you can say something, right. Uh, uh, as a man thinketh, so is he, right? So it's scriptural as a man believeth in his heart. So is he, it's Proverbs 23, seven. So as you start to believe you become. And so scriptural. And so what happens is, is if we can start to say things, right? Like, Hey, money is actually easy to come by, or maybe money is easy, or Hey, uh, relationships are easy to be in. If we we shift our thinking and shift that belief, it may not be true immediately, 
but we start to find evidence like, oh, that was interesting. I actually came across some money yeah. that was easy to make or, hey, that relationship wasn't as hard as I thought it was. And we start to find new evidence, break up those legs, find new evidence to build a new belief system. So that's yeah. one of the ways also. That's so powerful. And Skylar, the reason I asked you this is I think this is going to tie it together because I've not been to one of your events, right? But we talked about right thinking and right believing. And so you just laid out a, a process that I laid out. We called some things by different names, but I laid that out in the book uh, about how do you change belief system? Number one is you got to create awareness. You can't change something you're unaware of. You talked talk mm-hmm. about identifying it. Number two is you've got you've to replace it. I love the legs idea because a belief comes from something you've thought often enough or emotionally enough. And those legs, those are thoughts, evidences that support the belief system, right? And so so then you've got to replace that with a better, more accurate belief system. And then you've got to reprogram and you reprogram in two ways and you've literally given it verbatim, which is amazing because it just shows you truth is truth. And there are Mm -hmm. principles to life. And if you're paying attention to them, they'll lead you to similar places. Number one is what Napoleon Hill calls auto-suggestion or repetition. That's the affirmations that you're talking about. Feeding yourself a new new set of thoughts, a new set of evidences, a new vision for the future over and over and over again. Because as a man thinketh, so is he, right? Um, And then secondly is emotional anchoring, right? So that auto-suggestion repetition takes a lot of time, but but emotional anchoring can be very quick. And one of the things that I always tell people when I'm coaching them or mentoring them, and this will be interesting because I want you to do this, but what's your earliest memory? What, what's the earliest memory that you have in your life that's like really clear that you can go back to and you can say, all right, I recall this in a great amount of detail. What is that? What's that memory? I think it was four. I was rolling up my sister in a, uh, in a blanket and, and rolling her around the room. Okay. So even though there wasn't a huge amount of emotional significance to that, it was, it was interesting. That's the first thought that comes to mind. That's very interesting. So, so for me, my first one is uh, I got this little scar here and I was crawling like three and a half, four years old around the, the uh, living room table and I hit my head on it and needed to go get stitches. And I can remember pretty accurately sitting in there with the light on top and the doctor saying, say, ouch, every time he went through with the, the thing. And what's interesting about that is most of our earliest memories are coded around these emotional sort of things, right? And we can't remember what we ate for dinner yesterday, but we can remember this car accident 25 years ago. We can remember our dad leaving. We can remember these sorts of things like we were there right now, whether we want to or not. And that is sort of an evidence of emotional anchoring right? That when we have these extreme peaks on the landscape of our life, that we sort of record them like a multi-sensory computer. And we keep, you said like, you know, positive PTSD, but that's sort of what you're, you're doing. You're creating these experiences that you Mm -hmm. can't teach. You can't repeat your way and you can't watch them on video. You got to be there. Mm -hmm. You have to go through it. And in those experiences, you're creating an environment for that emotional anchoring to occur where that new thinking or that new belief system that we're trying to create, we put it in that moment. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, it's there. It's that breakthrough that you've been fighting for for 20 years. And it happens in a moment. It's like the smoker who's tried to smoke, stop smoking their entire life. And then they get called in the back and they say, you have emphysema. If you don't stop now, you'll be dead in 12 months. If you stop now, the treatments, you live 10 or 15 years. 
And that smoker who smoked their entire life, their family has wanted them to stop. They've wanted to stop. They've gone to treatment. They've done the patches. They've done everything. And all of a sudden, they don't even want a cigarette anymore. Never touch another one in their life. Why? An emotional anchoring event has occurred there that shakes them and shapes them at their very core. And all of a sudden, the thing they fought for 30 years is gone. And that is what you guys do in that sort of experiential thing, which is why it's so powerful to be parts of groups or programs like that, right? We used to run big, huge events with our people. I would always say big decisions are made at big events. Why? Because you are in a heightened state for emotional anchoring to occur. Mm, that's so good. And what happens with emotional anchoring, right, is there's a there's a moment that 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 man must have thought, hey, smoking, right, equals a, a peace for me or whatever that meaning subconsciously was for him. Right. Smoking is the way that I release or I reduce stress. But the new meaning that was anchored in is, hey, smoking's pain. Smoking equals death. Right. It's that's the new that. belief. Yeah. Right. Smoking is death to me. Right. And so that's the power of these things. And many times it's subconscious. He might not think that, but subconsciously a new belief is, is right. entered into the mind. Right. And stamped in there that he now operates from from the rest of his life. And so yep. you, there's there's, yeah, there's hard ways to do that. Right. Affirmation is a powerful way. takes time and emotional events is powerful. And then also coaching like you talk about coaching. Coaching is powerful. A, a coach may say, hey, are you sure about that belief or and start to question the belief system, which gets which gets you questioning it. And then that can start the process of Absolutely. creating a new belief system. Too. Absolutely. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear actually some of your beliefs around, uh, and, and this is kind of controversial, I'm sure, with a bunch of Christians watching this around money oh, and boy. money and money mindsets, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's an edgy topic. I, I've, we have a mastermind. We have about uh, anywhere from 100, 120, 130 uh, CEOs, entrepreneurs that come on every week, and I have different topics. Uh, and we had one uh, actually yesterday, but I, I've been wanting to do a money mindset conversation. Uh, and for whatever reason, I have not got to it. So I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts around is money difficult to make? What do you think? What should our belief systems be around money? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's a loaded question. I did a course on it. It's like 10 hours long. Right. So, I mean, like I could sit here and talk about this for a long time, but I think that this is one of the most fundamental belief systems that you've got to get under control because as, as a man, you're going to spend the predominant amount of your time in the best years of your life in the attainment of creating value and accumulating, using, multiplying and giving away money. That's just a fact. That's just, that's what happens. And most of us, we're, we're like uh, the old Abe Lincoln, you know, quote, like, hey, if you had three hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first two and a half sharpening my axe. And there's a lot of guys out there. They got big hearts. They got big skills. They got great networks. And they're beating the heck out of a tree with a baseball bat. Because they haven't sharpened their axe in terms of how they think. Because what we think about, we bring about, right? The first question, you're coming out of the ministry that, that I needed to know, and I think it's a fundamental question that most people really have not fundamentally answered for themselves. It sits in the back of their mind. It rises up as guilt and shame because they haven't answered it. They haven't settled it. It says, God want me to be wealthy. What does God think about this? And, you know, you've got... You've got basically the entire Old Testament, which is a story of some of the wealthiest people in the history of the world and God using those people and their life and their gifts in his story. And so you, you sort of have this thing and then you have some really challenging scriptures when they're sort of taken 
unilaterally. Like it's easier for the camel to enter through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's tough, right? You can't serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. You'll serve one and hate the other. Um, and, and then numerous other scriptures that people use to defend sort of lack thinking and, and poverty is a virtue. Okay. And so what I learned was this, um, you know, you, you got to go back to the source. You got to question it, right? So if it's easier for a camel to enter through an eye of a needle, which is pretty much impossible, camel's a pretty big thing and the needle's a very small thing. And there's all sorts of people say, maybe the eye of a needle's a rock pass or whatever, but like, let's just take it at face value. What, what he's saying is hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, okay, that's great. And there's another scripture right after that, that you got to look at for context. Because when you take a scripture out of context, it can become a context, right? It can be used to sort of mm. move one's agenda further. But ultimately, here's the deal. And this is this is great for your group because it's a bunch of believers, right? Um, if, if money can keep you out of heaven, then what's Jesus all about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it sounds there like money is more powerful than Jesus. And so that can't be the case. We know that that's not accurate. And so there's got to be some other sort of meaning here that's getting missed, right? We got to be able to look at this objectively and say, okay, if, if the attainment of money is enough to keep us out of heaven and for us to not be saved, then what good is this Jesus fellow anyways? If he's not more powerful than money, then what sort of God is he, right? And that's that's a pretty fair question, I think. Mm -hmm. Not a great one, probably offending some people here, but you you should ask yourself that. Money's more powerful than God, then what's the point in serving God? Mm -hmm. Why would you give your life for this second-class magician of sorts, right? He either is or is not. He, he, his finished work was indeed finished or it wasn't. And we got to go back and look at some of that. And what I've come to, to learn is that I don't think God has a problem with you having money. I don't think he wants money to have you. Okay. And so if we can start there, I think we can understand the, the context of scripture as a whole much, much better because most of the places in scripture, money is seen as a is a blessing is sort of some sort, some sort of, um, uh, uh, this is the wrong word for it, but it's basically like a merit of some sort that you have, you have lived according to God's principles and you're an heir of a kingdom and this sort of belongs to you. It's part of your right. You know, so many people are heirs to the kingdom, but they're working somebody else's field for minimum wage because they don't remember who they are and whose they are and what belongs to them. And so I think when we look at it in that context, all of scripture does flow a little bit more smoothly and makes a lot more sense that, hey, God warns us about money because money in God's place is bad. So is sex in God's place, food in God's place, self-love in God's place, clout, you name it. Anything in God's place becomes something that is in the wrong place. And I think that's what he's helping to warn us about. Like, hey, guys, look, this is this is important. I'm going to give you the tools to 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 use this. But, you know, if you look at most people in Scripture, all of a sudden they got golden calves and all this. We're, we're real good at screwing things up that God gave us to, to use. And all of a sudden we're using them as gods in our life. I think that's what he's most concerned about in that area. And so. If that's the case, 
that I believe that God wants you to take the gifts and the time and the talents of the people that he's given you in your life and to make the absolute most of them. Parable of the talents is really a good uh, mm-hmm. illustration of that, right? One servant has five talents, which in, in literal interpretations, like a sum of money, one has two, one has one. The one that has five gets 10. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The one who has two gets four. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The one who has one says, you know, you're a hard man. You, you reap where you haven't sown. I was afraid I was going to lose it. So I buried it in the ground and he returns that one talent. He gave the master back his investment. But the master was upset with him and he said, you wicked, lazy servant, you'd have been better to put this on deposit with the bankers where at least I would have earned interest. And then a very interesting thing happens, Skylar. He says, take from the one and give to the one who has 10. And this is a a biblical principle we see in the world. There are people who have and people who don't have. And that is actually like a scriptural thing. And it's predominantly because the people who have have learned the principles of operating in this stewardship. And the people who don't have, have not, and end up giving all their money to those people by paying interest, buying things they shouldn't buy, et cetera, right? And it's an interesting way of looking at things, but I believe it's a pretty accurate way of looking at things. I think God wants us to do well, well with money. He wants us to make a lot of money. He wants us to save a lot of money. He wants us to give a lot of money. More importantly, he wants us to to master money and not allow money to master us. And that's one of the great keys, right? You can't serve two masters. The best way around that is to master money so it doesn't master you. How do you do that? Number one is by by taking control of it, right? When when you're afraid of something, when you hide your head in the sand, when that the fear of it or the fear of the lack of it dictates what you do, you are being controlled by it. But when you can control, we say, I'm going to look at this, I'm going to understand it, I'm going to take control of it. You're now dominating in that relationship, not the other way around. The second is giving it. And that's why God talks so much about giving, because it's a cheat code for our heart. If you give money away, Scott, what you're saying is, listen, I, I, I care about you so little in the context of needing you in my life, I'm willing to give you away because I know there's more coming and I know where my supply is and I know who my supplier is. And money is not money is not my supply. God is my supply. It's just what he gave to me. And when we give, we, we, um, we assert our control over money and that way we're leading it and it's not leading us. So I got a whole lot of thoughts on this stuff. Mm. You know, we could talk for hours and hours about it. So good. Yeah. There's a quote by uh, John Wesley and, uh, very famous Christian man. It's earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. Yep. So earn all you can, like earn all that is possible with the talents that he has given you, with the skill sets that he's given you, right? Really maximize it. If you're going to be earning, maximize it, right? And find a way to save more, give more, right? And continue to increase giving. And what's interesting about earning is in capitalism, and this is why I just... You know, you can see God's handiwork if you're looking everywhere around you. And the system of capitalism, okay, unless you're stealing the money, the only way you're getting the money, Skylar, is people are willfully giving it to you in exchange for your service, your time, your product, something. They said, you know what? We like what you do so much. Would you consider trading that for this money? And so the more money you have, the more people you've served. It's the only way you can get it. You could be a greedy terrible person. And unless you're stealing from people, the only way you can accumulate a lot of wealth is to serve a lot of people. 
And that's God's plan. It, there's a book called Thou Shall Prosper. It's by a guy named uh, Rabbi Daniel Lapvin. And it's basically why do the Jewish peoples control so much wealth, right? And it's going into their mindset. And the Jewish people see money as a certificate of merit for their service to other people. If you're not serving people, you're not getting any money, right? And so it's good for us to have money because it's the evidence of all the people that we've served. And so you go to get statements, people like, well, how much is enough? Well, phrased in that way, how many people is enough to serve before you can stop serving and start living for yourself? I don't know. Put that way, I don't know that there's ever a place to stop while we're alive on this planet Earth. I think God wants us to serve our fellow human beings with our gifts, with our time, with our talents, with our ideas, with the products that we create. And um, it's a really interesting way to look at money accumulation and money generation. I want to make as much money as I possibly can, because in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to have served a lot of people in a significant way. And um, how beautiful that system is that you can't win in it unless you're willing to serve God's people, which is what he wants. <laughs> That's his goal and one of his goals in our life. Not just that we know him. If that was his only goal, we just get sucked up to heaven right now. Why are we here together? Why are we around all these people? Why do we have this time on earth? If we just need to know God, we can know him in heaven. I think he wants us to serve other people, to be his hands and feet, to make a difference in the world. And so when you look at it that way, when that's your perspective, when that's how you interpret that belief from our previous part of the conversation, then that colors your actions. You don't get up every day worried about making too much money or what are people going to think or I don't know, what if it changes me? Money doesn't change you. Money exposes you, right? And and it allows us to get clear and eliminate that, that blockage and that roadblock. Like you probably deal with this at the the guys you lead, but I saw people who were real capable, super talented, and they just self-sabotage over yeah. and over in the area of money. Why? Because they hadn't settled this. They felt bad about it. They felt guilty. And you're never going to accumulate that which you don't want. Okay. You're never going to become that which you hate. And many of us are, we're hating something because people who didn't have any of it needed to have a reason to justify that. And we picked it up and said, oh, it must be true. And then acted on it for our whole life, right? Mm, man, so much wisdom there. Uh, yeah, I believe, like you mentioned kind of earlier, right? My, my belief system around money is like, if, if I have a tight grip on it or anything that I have a tight grip on, God's going to find a way to loosen my grip if that grip's not on him. So my grip's either on God or it's on money, Right. And so like I have a very loose grip. I've learned to have a loose grip with my house, with my cars, with my anything. Fine. Actually, so almost anything. Uh, I have a loose grip. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I'm not intentional. It doesn't mean I, I don't invest and take care and I'm a good steward. But I have a real loose grip, man. At any point, God could take away any of it. And I believe the tighter my grip, the more likely God's going to be like, all right. All right. You're not letting go. You care yeah, this about this world. You place care about me. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, this is in the wrong place in your life. Hey, I gave you this great thing and you've exalted it above me. Mm -hmm. And that's got to change. I think that's so wise. You know, I, I had a post the other day on Instagram about some of like my homes that I've had in the progression and, and people, you know, I, I built this huge, like 13,000 square foot home on a 20 acre lakefront estate. And I lived in it for a year and I sold it. I thought it was going to be my dream home. We, we drew it all. We built it for three years. I was there every day watching it. And then we were gone. And, 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 and people are like, how could you do that? And my answer is it's just a home. Hmm. It's just a house. 
It's just things. That's all it is. It's just things. And, you know, I think that that's when you can really feel that way. It's just things. Then I think that you have shown yourself, he who is faithful with little will be made ruler over much. I think that's a test God gives us. How are you going to handle these things? Or are they going to handle you? Are you going to become a slave to maintaining them? Or are you okay saying, God, if if you say go, it it goes, you know, where are you going to live in that? So I love hearing that. And I'm very much the same way. You know, I just, I just sold um, uh, one of my cars. It was a super cool car and I just wasn't using it much. You know, I wasn't driving. I have a lot of different cars and uh, there are some other, you know, market reasons with it and new models coming out, but I'm like, I'm just going to get rid of it. People are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you sold that. Why did you sell it? I'm like, it's just a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There'll be more in the future. I've had more in the past. I'm not real attached to it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to steward it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to care about it. Like you said, it just, it's not in here. Things are not in our heart. Things are in our life. And that needs to make make sure that we've got a good differentiation from. And I believe that's where a lot of peace comes from, right? I have a lot of peace uh, that that surpasses all understanding, right? Scriptural. It's I I have a loose grip not only on that but on on business too, right? We're going to run into business challenges, right? We're going to if we have a tight grip on our business and the results, and I'm going to make this thing happen, or we just give it to God, say, Lord, I'm going to have a loose grip on this thing. Uh, I pray that it, that it, that you bless it, right? And there's results that are produced, but I can't I can't control the outcome. All I control can control is my behavior. So I have a, yeah. a loose grip on the results. I'm going to take massive action. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. And then, Lord, I'm going to leave it up to you. If at some point you don't want me to even rock, even rise of kings. If at some point he's like, hey, Skyler, thank you. Uh, I want somebody else leading it. Yeah. All right, Lord. Well, cool. Like, all right. Well, where do you want me then? Like having that just peace. It's just. Cause it's challenging. Business is hard. Like life, life can be very challenging. And the tighter we grip these things, it just creates a lot of chaos, the opposite of peace. Skylar, I love that. I think it's so good. And, and, and I, let's clarify that a little bit because I think it's easy for somebody to say, you know, let go and let God. And they just sort of like, I've been working so hard. And I've been, it's, I think what you're talking about is the emotional connection to the responsibility of the outcome versus the process. I think exactly. I, I think, we want to we want to give our very best every single day in the process. We want to do the best we can with what we have where we are. That's how we steward it. But at the end of the day, knowing that when we've done the very best that we're capable of doing that it is at that point it is out of our hands. And is that yeah. what you mean there because it, what it is what I mean because I I also have a stance of not ultimate, but uh, we are responsible for our lives, very similar to kind of Jordan Peterson, right? We have a very high level responsibility for everything that happens in our lives, right? If our wife leaves us, we had some, we had some level of responsibility in this thing. We're not at fault necessarily of everything, the difference between fault and responsibility, yeah, right? So right. We're, we're not at fault, but we have some level, any relationship that we're involved in, we have some level of responsibility, I share this 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 analogy. We're driving down the road, and uh, we decide to get off on an exit. And as we pull up to that light, a car comes and slams into the back of us. Am I? Do I have any responsibility in that? And so the question is: Yes, I chose to get on that freeway that day. I chose to get off on that exit. I chose to stop at that light. Like I had a lot of choices that I made to be in that moment at that time. Now it may not be my fault, 
right? I may not be at fault for that, right? He may be at fault, but I have some level of responsibility. And true victimhood comes from when we don't believe we have any responsibility. We're a victim to life. Yeah, We're a victim to every situation. And so when we realize, actually, no, I'm not a victim. I have responsibility. We can become free. Absolutely, because you hold your power there. The power that you do have, the power of your free will and your choice and your your effort and your energy, um, it, it's given away when you when you give your ownership in a situation to somebody else, a circumstance or another person, right? But when we own that, when we say, "Hey, you know what? I have some level of responsibility here," we retain the power to change and choose again differently, exactly. which is where, where the real power and the real freedom in life comes yeah. from. Knowing that, hey, no matter what's going on around me, I still have some power to affect change and be an agency capacity in my own life, and I'm not just having things happen happen to me. And that's a really important. Yeah. Important Life happens for you, not to you. And that's a core belief that I have, right? We talk about belief systems. I had to find that belief system. Life happens for me, not to me. And so I, now I search for evidence all the time. Like, Hey, how did that benefit me? Yeah. Like how did that situation benefit me? I'm building those legs around that belief system. And it's, it's proven to serve me more than it has not served me. Yeah. And, and even beyond for me, it's happening because of me. Which mm-hmm. is another powerful, mm-hmm. belief, right? Because yep, that's good. You, you might look at it and say, "Well, my life's negative, and if life is happening for me, then maybe my life is supposed to be negative, or maybe I've done something to deserve this." Or so then you get into real weird stuff. Maybe in another life, I and now I'm having to my karma is coming around all this stuff. Versus life's happening because of me, good and bad. And what can I do to then influence that? If I don't like what I get, uh, you know, I I got a a, a a plate of food at the restaurant and I didn't like it. And most people, Skylar, they're just there scarfing down the grizzle of life. Uh, I wish this is different. No, you just send it back and order again. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're, if you don't it's, like it, get something else. We, we have that level of responsibility. Like if, I, I, if I'm at an event and I'm not having a good time at an event, I'll mix it up. I might throw some chaos in it. I'll raise my hand. I'll ask questions. I'll engage. Like I'm going to make sure I'm getting what I need to be fulfilled out of my life also. And it was funny. What, what The first thought that came to mind when you said life happens because of me was, uh, was Job. I'm like, did Job's life really happen because of him? That was the first thought that popped in my mind. And then, yes, because Job was a, was a righteous man was the reason Satan chose to go after him, right? It's interesting. So in all essence, and so again, it, we, we have so much responsibility in this life. And so it, our life happens because of us, good or bad, yeah. right? And There's you're always- hitting on something here that's so powerful, Skylar, so powerful. And this is the part of the, you know, affirmations and po- the power of positive thinking that we don't want to, we don't want to look at, but they are real and it's reality. Like you said, Satan came after Job because of his righteousness. He was, he wanted to show God that this person would, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll give all that away because I'm going to make his life so hard. Right. And ultimately, um, the more responsibility we have. And the higher levels we play at, the bigger challenges we're going to see is as a result of it, because of it. You know, I've sort of hit this interesting place in my life where I'm definitely not famous by any stretch of imagination, but I'm also not a, a, a nameless, faceless person anymore. I'm sort of in this weird, like, interphase there between the two. And 
there's a lot of good that comes with it. I can jump on my Instagram, make a post about something, sell 50 grand of it in an hour. That's useful, I suppose. Um, and I also have a bunch of people who've never met me whose life mission is apparently to make my life miserable, you know, and, and tell the world about uh, my evils or whatever. And that didn't used to occur back when I was just like some nobody in his little world doing his own game, right? Does that make sense? And, and so here's this new level of achievement and responsibility that's also coupled with some of the negatives that are being caused by that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're talking about Job and, and, and we've got to understand. So I heard a message one time um, and it was about a dog and how his, the pastor's kids wanted this dog. And what they found out after they got the dog is what they really wanted was the idea of the dog. They didn't want the responsibilities of the dog. They didn't like getting up at two in the morning and taking it out to the bathroom. They didn't like cleaning up its mess. They didn't like doing A, B, C, and D. We want the dog. We just don't want the stuff that goes along with the dog. We want the big bank account, but we don't want the financial respons responsibility and management. We want to be out there in front of the world, but we're soft when people hate on us and want to, you know, want to make that a challenge. And we got to understand those things go together. We, we own both of those. We're not going to get one without the other. I heard the uh, I heard someone say you can measure the status of a man by the status of his enemies. <laughs> well, I, the, you know, let's the, the bigger the bigger you get, man, the big yeah, exactly. The bigger going yeah. together here in prayer against that, folks. But, but, uh, but, you're, but you're exactly right. You know, I, there's I some truth, that. right? There's some yeah. truth to that. As you level up, as you scale, uh, you're not going to have just nobody's going uh, going after you. Like there's going to be people that, that have a uh, that are playing at a big game that may be trying to go after you that you, yeah, that may yeah, be yeah. hating on you when you're at this new level so there's some truth and it's really interesting so because i right I, it's not it's not fun it's not fun to be hated no. on. uh but when you realize you know what this is this is the journey of me getting to the next level you know and understanding that those things are there for a reason you know whenever you're you're running into obstacles or trials i always tell people there there's three reasons for it number one is it could be a test right? Like God's testing you in some way, like, Hey, are you ready for the next level? Because this is your final exam for this level. How are you going to respond to this criticism or to this level of attack? Or how are you going to respond financially? Or are you going to, are you going to cheat on that meal when you know you shouldn't? Sometimes it's a, it's a test that, that has to be passed to open the door to the next level. Sometimes it's a lesson we've got, God needs to teach us something. And the only way that we can learn this is in this situation as unfair or as as, um, as tough or as wrong as it seems that there's lessons that can only be learned in those situations. We can't read about them. We can't listen to them. We can't learn them on a mountaintop. They've got to be learned there. And then the third reason, sometimes there's a refining that needs to take place. We're carrying something with us that can't go with us to the next place in our life. Or there's a tool we need to pick up. We haven't needed it yet, but we're going to need it in the next level. And God puts us in those positions to test us, to teach us or to refine us. And every time we elevate up, we're going to go through that process because we're playing a game we've never played before. We need, we, we've got to have a different mindset, a different system, a different set of tools. And sometimes the only way, many times in my life, I don't know what's wrong with me. In my life, the only way that I seem to get those is, is through trials and tribulations and other things that make you stop and say, wait a second. Yeah. I can't do this James, on my James one, two, three, and four. It's a, the premise of what a lot of what Ruck is built around is consider it pure joy, 
my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not yeah. lacking anything. So the so way good. to maturity and to completeness, Scripture is saying, is through trials. Yet, So we have a saying at Ruck, pain is the path. Like digging into some of the discomfort, digging into some of the pain. Like nobody created anything great just searching for comfort, right? We have to be willing to step. Today I was on a run. I did not freaking feel like going on a run. And and I was I was starting to get into a comfortable place of running. And so I'm like, you know what? This is so I was saying pain is a path. I'm like, bring it on. So I, I bumped off three minutes. I bumped off 50 seconds off my mile, my mile time during this run. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna run harder. I'm gonna feel some of that pain. I'm gonna lean into it. Because I, I, it's it's what happens is these trials they cause us to lean into God more. That's right. Uh, they also mature us. They refine us, like you talked about refinement. And so that is a hundred percent scriptural. And so like with Ruck, we're 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 restructuring someone's brain around pain, around discomfort, and helping them lean into this process. Yeah, so they instead can of running away from more it. success and in, in their in their in their life in all areas. So good. So good. yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm having fun, man. This is this is this is awesome. We could go all day, but uh, I know we got to run. So, is what is is there? How first off, how could people uh, best reach you? This has been this has been a, a lot of fun. Uh, one of my favorite conversations. How can yeah. people reach you? And then, what are you doing? Like, what are you working on that may be of interest to the to the audience that that we have? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, so the best place to find me is on Instagram at Ian Pruckner. Uh, so just follow me on there, shoot me a DM. I'll do my best to get back to you. Uh, but that's the number one place to go every day. I'm throwing stuff out there to motivate, inspire, and, and hopefully help you level up. Um, so dude, I'm working on a lot of amazing things right now. I'm working on, uh, well, book number two is done. It's in post-production now should be coming out here like September, October, starting work on book number three. We've got a bunch of new courses coming out. I'm the managing partner in a tech, uh, fintech business that has been just absolutely amazing. It's grown so fast. Uh, we can't, can't really believe it, honestly, how quick it's gone. It's just one of those right people, right place sort of moments. Um, but that's been amazing. But follow me on Instagram. You're going to learn a bunch about me from there. Um, one other thing, if it's okay, um, if you want a free lesson from the Money Mindset Makeover course, which is some, where some of that content came from, I'd be happy to give it to you. If you just want to DM me the word money and I'll shoot you out a free lesson from it, you take a look and hopefully get uh, you know get your thinking going in the right direction there. Because for me, that's that's probably the single biggest mindset shift that I had to make, you know, when I was struggling making 27 grand a year, uh, you know, to, to what we've been able to do now, it's, it's just reinventing the way that, that my thoughts work around that. You're not going to lose, um, lose with money in your mind and win with it in your life. And so if that can be of help to anybody, I, I get the resource. We're glad to send it to you. Wow. Appreciate that. That's uh, I will be watching that and shooting you a DM, my brother for that uh, course. It sounds very intriguing. Um, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for sharing some wisdom and dropping some fire and, uh, just being present with us. Skylar, it's been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to continue building our relationship and to showing up at, uh, one of your ruck events soon and hanging out with some pretty amazing guys. Sounds good, brother. Appreciate you. Blessings. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in for more episodes, which come out every other week. Click the subscribe button to become a part of the Rise Up Kings tribe and check out the three-day experience at riseupkings.com.